This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got? Well, today we're going to be looking at an event, probably if you look back at World War II, uh, particularly the War in the Pacific, probably um, one of the biggest events, or probably one that's not as talked about as much. I want to kind of know it's Iwo Jima, but we're defla- we're raising of the yeah. flag. Obviously, the um, atomic bombs, maybe uh, they don't know a little bit about Okinawa, and a battle that really changed um, naval warfare. And definitely change the tide of World War II. So we're looking at the Battle of Midway. And what's interesting about this, is, as you mentioned, is that people often, I mean, when you think of uh, Pacific warfare, you're thinking of Iwo Jima. First of all, you think of Pearl Harbor, obviously, and we're going to discuss that yeah. briefly today. But you're thinking Pearl Harbor, and after that, you're really thinking the island hopping, and you're thinking Iwo Jima, raising of the flag, um, U.S. Marines Memorial that is in Washington, D.C. I feel like the Navy doesn't get enough credit here. And the Battle of Midway is called the most stunning and decisive blow in the history of naval warfare. I mean, this thing is studied, actually. Yeah, battle when, you're, when you're outnumbered, and it's it's a battle where they're using aircraft carriers. Like, this is it. And nowadays, you hear aircraft carrier, aircraft carrier task group, all that stuff, right? They're sending the aircraft carrier over to this region, that region. That's a big deal. Back in 1942, it still wasn't aircraft carriers. It was still believed that the battleship was still, like, the backbone yeah. and everything. That kind of changed a little bit with the Coral Sea. I guess we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But really, midway, that's it. That was the end of the battleship. After this, yep. it's like there's no point. You don't need battleships. You know, they're awesome. They're they they have the big guns. That's great. But it's the aircraft carrier's time. Yep. And that's basically that basically changed that whole narrative. And also ironic in this whole thing when we are going to discuss this today is the fact that this was although a huge naval battle, it, it, the entire battle took place in the air. I mean, this was a battle of airplanes. Um, not was, really yeah. battle of battleships. All right. Uh, where do you want to start? I mean, I figure we'll kind of just run through it. Background. Well, uh, yeah, I guess we're background a little bit. So let's look. So basically what's taking on, this is the Pacific War, okay, which starts with December the bombing 7. of Pearl Harbor for us. Yeah. December 7, 1941, which we all basically talk about. So this takes place six months after that, obviously. Six, six about months. six months after. Yeah. yeah because it, well, it ends in July. So yeah, about six months after 1942. This is the same people. It's the same people involved too. Yamamoto, who planned the attack on Pearl Harbor also planned the attack on Midway. And his idea was the Japanese Navy, what they wanted to do is they wanted to do another, they wanted to draw the American fleet into a decisive battle. That was kind of what they wanted to do, to knock them out, defeat the American fleet, and then set up their kind of perimeter around here. And they didn't want to attack Pearl Harbor again because they realized too much land-based aircraft. It wasn't wasn't going to be smart. So they decided that Midway would be literally a Midway point and by attacking Midway for two things, one, they could then stage other in- attacks and invasions, but also they knew if they, they attack, they take Midway Island, the Americans would defend Midway because where it was, and it was a very important strategically to, Pearl, to protect Pearl Harbor. And if you ever see Midway, it's basically, its name is where it is. It's really in the midway of like the Pacific Ocean. It's like yeah, right there. It's right in the right middle the between map. Japan and the United States. After Pearl Harbor, where this was a surprise attack, and they did knock out a lot of the U.S. naval fleet, this All was Yamamoto. Yeah, battleships. This was Yamamoto's like part two, the sequel. He wanted yeah. to finish them off. As you mentioned, uh, Pearl Harbor was not going to let itself be attacked again. So we really like beefed up the ground to air defenses of Pearl Harbor. So he knew there was no way he was going to be able to successfully attack anything that was in port. So the premise here is really is to trick the American forces to lure these American... Yeah, to lure these American, what do you call, aircraft carriers into open sea. And they were going to trick them as really 
try to attack this this smaller island um draw them out and draw them out that's the whole key right and this is super secretive and the reason why it took so long based on my research is that yamamoto was going to go quicker but there was actually a huge rivalry within japan uh between the imperial army and the imperial navy yamamoto's navy because of this it took forever for them to create this follow-up strategy to pearl harbor because while the imperial navy wanted to obviously destroy whatever was left of the american fleet the imperial army was more interested in trying to actually take over some american lands they were even thinking of which eventually became kind of, i guess part of like a distraction but they were trying to attack uh united states alaska um yeah, the ocean which, islands yeah yeah there was they were attacked at the same time and it was kind of like as a diversionary tactic to see like where yep. they were going to attack where like the, the divert some forces away from the actual midway attack but yep. to also attack the Aleutian Islands, which they did. Yeah. Also was not um as successful was not successful. So the big plan here is was obviously going to rely strictly on surprise. I mean, if they could somehow pass this plan along as like they're going to, they're sailing to Midway to destroy the American naval base at Midway, because there's also a base there, you know, this would be the surprise. However, what really the reason why this failed, at least based on my research, is from the get-go, and that is the fact of Yamamoto's actual plan, which was to break up his forces. Well, that was so, one reason, and also, I guess, we'll go ahead, but the big reason, I would say, you're right, definitely well, yeah, yeah, I mean, plan yeah. wasn't perfect, but the big reason was we broke their codes. We knew it yes. was coming. So yep. we, they, were, they, they thought they were laying the trap, and in actuality, we were laying the trap for them. And yep. if they do a really good job of this in that most recent Midway movie, that was that supposedly is one of the most historically accurate yeah. movies. Well, if you saw the one, they made one in the sixties too. That was actually mm -hmm. from like both sides' point of view. It was really a long movie. It's like a six, seven hour movie at the uncut version. And that shows a lot of it. But the newer one that came out, I think like 2019, 2020, it was actually really it was really well done. They actually show us and how nervous the Americans were planning this. Because like if this didn't go well and we send our fleet out and our fleet gets beaten. That's it. Because what you have to understand here, too, in the context is the United States is not the United States today. This is the United States 1942. It's not the U.S. Navy of today. It's the U.S. Navy of 1942. So it's not this like massive sized Navy right now. Like our Navy right now is um, what I what, what I was I reading that um, we're bigger oh, than the next yeah. than the next 11 navies combined. That's yep. how big the U.S. Navy is today. And out of those 11, no, excuse me, out of those, it's, we're bigger than the next 13 navies combined. Out of those 13, 11 are allied NATO countries. So that just yeah. kind of tells you like yeah. the size of the Navy today. And we were not that in 1942. In fact, the Japanese Navy at that point was on a 50-year undefeated streak. They did not lose a battle or engagement in 50 years prior to Midway. Even the battle right before this, the Battle of the Coral Sea, was, was really like a draw. You know, yep. like when uh, when they were going towards our Jap Japanese were going to Australia it was kind of a draw. But when they come to Midway, um, things are going to change. But so it was really the United States was not confident necessarily that they were going to win, and they also knew going in that they were going to be outnumbered. Now, I'm yep. going to give you some of those statistics in a few minutes. Just going into this idea of obviously our naval code breakers, uh, what the actual code that we broke, we refer to it as magic. So yeah, we broke it, and uh, we were able to listen to these Japanese radio messages. However, a few things here. The reason why Yamamoto was actually using radio so much to communicate, which is why we were able to pick up some of the, so much of this strategy, is because he actually dispersed his fleet. So his entire plan yeah. was was like a three prong attack. He was going to initially there was like I said 
diversion attack, smaller Japanese force, right, in the, the islands off of Alaska. Then Yamamoto's uh, three-pronged attack was basically first an air attack on the island was, was going to be launched from four first-line Japanese aircraft carriers. He basically sent out four aircraft carriers going forward, right? The, what, what were the names of them? Do you remember? Akagi, um, I do Kaga, yeah. Hiryu, and Soryu, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah commanded, are- right? Commanded by Vice Admiral Nagumo. Then the second force was an invasion force. It was ships, battleships, soldiers. And that was led by Vice Admiral Kondo. And that one was further out. Like that was nowhere near the actual four battleships. And then after that, once supposedly they attacked Midway, the U.S. reinforcements were expected to come from Pearl Harbor. And at that point, when they were coming from Pearl Harbor, there was going to be Yamamoto's own fleet, which was hiding even further out, 600 miles away to the west, would then arrive and be like, ha, we're here as well. The fact that he kind of sent out these first four aircraft carriers by themselves and separate all these other forces to make it look like, oh, this is all you got to fight, was his downfall for many reasons. One, because when we intercepted them, his main force was not all in one place. And two, because he had to communicate via radio between all these different forces, which is what our codebreakers were listening to. And what was interesting here, too, is I don't know if you saw this, but we knew more or less when this was happening, but we weren't sure where they were going to attack. Um, because we they lay a trap for them, yeah. Exactly, right? Because they kept on referring to the specific location as to where they're going to attack AF, the U.S. AF, they kept AF. on seeing this thing, right, popping up AF. Yeah, so um, what do we do? So AF keeps on popping up, and there's this cut in these um, code breakers that are saying it's got to be, it's midway. And a lot of the other, again, you see the movie and you do the research, a lot of the other um, code breakers, I'm like, I don't, they don't think it's midway. Like, right, this, is how they, this is how they can figure it out. They send out a fake message that they know the Japanese are going to intercept saying that Midway is running fresh, is running low on fresh water and needs resupply. And mm-hmm. then the next day, they intercept the message that says, AF, running low on fresh water. So, bam, that just confirmed everything. So as soon as that comes out, they confirm that AF is Midway. So all the talk about all these attacks, when they're going to attack, where, they, where the, you know, all the, the strike force is going to be attacking AF. They know AF is now Midway. So this is when the U.S. is like, all right, let's go. This is when um, Nimitz, right? Is saying basically let's do this, yep. okay? Let's let's lay this trap now, and we're going to be waiting for them when they come. They're not going to know where our aircrafts are, and we're going to be waiting for them, and that's going to be the big deal. Yep. And the keynote here too, which is interesting because we were able to intercept those messages, is the fact that the United States technically did not have enough. How many did we have before the Yorktown was fixed up? What do we have? Two aircraft carriers. Yeah, well, that's the big thing that you have to understand. Going into this battle, the U.S. was not... Yeah, Yorktown was severely damaged at the Battle of the Coral Sea. You know, we talked yep. this a couple of times. It was, it was kind of... It was the first time in naval combat history that the two sides never saw each other. It's the first time airplane. It's kind of like a prequel to, to Midway. Yep. But coming in, the Japanese had four so, aircraft yep. carriers, right? Four of them, seven battleships, 150 ships, support ships, 248 carrier aircraft, and 15 submarines, all right? The U.S. had... Three, but two, only two of them were totally ready um, because the Yorktown was still in dry dock. It was supposed to take up to six months to repair it. And then instead... Um, they did it in like 48 hours, right? Yeah. They were really just like, to get this thing back out there. Only 50 support ships, 230 um, carrier-based aircraft. They had uh, Midway itself had 127 land-based craft, like torpedo planes and stuff. Yeah. And they had eight submarines. So it was a much smaller force. The US, if you were lining these up, you would not. That's one of the reasons why this battle is always like analyzed and like naval history and stuff. The U.S. should not have won. I know this is something very, very pro-U.S. Is like we're the underdog against Japan, but they 
So these, these forces really were, they were not as experienced. They were not, uh, they, they didn't have as, have the numbers. And that all they knew is they had, they did have the element of surprise. And you can see how big that can be. And they, they got lucky too, which we'll talk about. The yeah. luck was a big part of this. Yeah. And it was kind of um, Yamamoto and, um, and the other commanders, their lack of being able to make decisions quickly and their lack yeah. of like really backing up their, their decisions is also what gave like the Americans a window to really, you know, try to like win this battle. And they took advantage of it. I'm not sure what you have to do here. They really definitely took advantage of the opportunities that they had. Yep. And also, based on their intelligence, the Japanese really did think that the U.S. is only going to have two aircraft carriers that were full of airplanes. Uh, yeah, they and didn't expect Yorktown. No one did. And that was the point. You couldn't expect the Yorktown. You have to remember the Japanese at this point, like they, their industry was nowhere close to the United States. And that's something that Yamamoto talked about. You know, if you obviously, you know, I fear we have waken a sleeping giant. If you look at our Pearl Harbor um, podcast, we talk about that because he knew that eventually – the United States industry would, would overtake Japan. The Japan just couldn't keep up with that. Just couldn't yeah. keep up with the industry. And you really saw this at this battle. Like, how is this aircraft carrier? When the Japanese first encounter it, they don't think it's a Yorktown. They think it's a brand new carrier. Yeah. Like, how did they build a new carrier in this amount of time? How did we even know about this carrier existing? So that's just kind no, of what happened. We there. were just, we were just, you know, the Pearl Harbor dry dock number one at Pearl Harbor. They said, yeah, just um, fix it. Fix just, it get and it done. they were like around the clock, get 24 done. hours a day. Get it done. Yeah. Patched it up and they got it done. Let's uh, let's get into, I guess, kind of this idea. I mean, we have the Yamamoto's plan, right? He's going to send out these four, pretend that's really it, and then he's going to destroy, so at least he's hoped to destroy Midway. And then after that, he has a whole another fleet waiting further out with actual soldiers on that he's thinking he's, are going to actually land. And then when the Americans send out their guys from Pearl Harbor, Yamamoto bring, will bring his own big force and then um, basically destroy the Americans. Well, the battle is going to start. So it starts on June. It goes from June 4th to June 7th, 1942. Again, if you look at Japanese records, I think it's the 3rd to the 8th to 6th. It all depends mm -hmm. on, you know. It starts at about 9 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, some of the Navy, they, both sides are sending out spotters. Remember, this is before they have sonar, they have radar, but it's not anything like it is today. They don't have the drones flying by like the satellites. So they just send out guys up in planes and they're going to fly around and try to spot the Japanese forces. And that's when a U.S. Um, Navy patrol actually spotted the Japanese force about um, 500 nautical miles southwest of Midway. But they spot the wrong thought, force. They don't see yeah, it, he right? Thought, he, he, he thought this was the main task force, and it wasn't. So what happens is Midway launches nine B-17s to do their first attack on this transport. And they get there, and they're just basically – they drop they uh, drop their bombs. They cause um, minimal damage, if anything. None of the bombs yep. actually hit anything. And I think all of them wind up getting shot down pretty much. And that's what's happening a lot in the Japanese, if you – do the research and you read some of their journals, they talk about this early on, they kind of are laughing at the Americans. Like, they're not like they're brave, they're fighting, but they have no idea what they're doing because we're setting up these torpedo planes, we're sending them these bombers, and they're just getting slaughtered on yep. their way. And none of the yeah, bombs by, by are much faster, target. by much faster much fighters. Much faster, fighter more experienced pilots. So then about, about 4.30 on June 4th is when... Um, History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade, a 
acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Nagamo, right? Um, he's uh, the fleet commander, uh, launches his initial attack on Midway itself. They from his four aircraft carriers, yep. Yes, from his aircraft carriers, and they, start, they actually start attacking Midway itself, the, the actual island. And then about an hour or so later is um, when another plane spots two more Japanese carriers, and that's when they realize, oh, man, there's a whole bunch of planes flying everywhere. And about 10 minutes later is when the island was attacked again. So it, the, the war's on, the battle's on here. And yep. then Midway radars picking up enemies at a distance, so the interceptors are scrambled. There's bombers flying everywhere. So it's basically becoming like a huge, um, this battle's happening out in the ocean and at Midway itself all at the same time. I mean, we don't have to get into like, the, you know, like 10, 25. Yeah, I, I was going to say exactly. Like when you start reading this, it's so yeah, it's, overwhelming. It's, 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 yeah, it's so overwhelming. Because there's, it's such a detailed battle because both sides, you know, detailed. That, but basically what you have to understand is at one point, the Japanese spot the American carriers and they're like, and they're like, oh my God, this is a trap. They realize yeah. it, right? Yeah. It's, it's their Admiral Akbar moment. Okay. Yeah. Some people actually get that um, reference, right? So that's you realize what's going on. And that's when um, Nagamo has his like dilemma because he doesn't know what to do because he, he, their main objective is to destroy the fleet. So he's like, okay, we have to, if we're, if we're attacking aircraft carriers, we need to convert to torpedo planes, right? But if we're attacking the land at Midway, we're doing bombers. So they keep, they kind of switch back and forth a couple of times, right? He wants to put the bombers, he wants to attack Midway itself, but he has orders from Yamamoto, which says, no, that he has to keep certain aircraft in reserve because they have to make sure that they go and attack the, the carriers. That's what Yamamoto really wants destroyed. So it's kind of this back and forth and it's indecisiveness that's happening. And as that's happening, remember the battle's still going on. So as that's happening the, on the battleship, they're switching from bombs to torpedoes and they're refueling all these planes. And as they're doing that... While they're refueling the ships, but that's when the actual bombs start dropping on, American bombs start to drop on these aircraft carriers, right? And ultimately, yeah, because they actually pierce the top of the aircraft and they go into the lower decks, because you have all these airplanes that are being refueled, that ignites and starts internal fires within three of these aircraft carriers. Yeah, within minutes. Within, within yeah. minutes. That's what people don't like. This happened within minutes. The Hiru, the, the um, Soru, and the um, Kaga are all attacked. After this, um, for the remainder of the war, the Japanese changed their orders that planes were to be refueled only on the very top of the aircraft carrier, no more in its hull. Yeah, because, because when the, when, you drop one bomb in there with all that fuel, right? Gasoline, all those other bombs, it just ignites everything. You only need one bomb. Several bombs hit. So, and yep. they do a great job in some movies. Those pilots were actually like on their way, getting ready to turn back. So they, they didn't even know where the fleet was. They suddenly come to the cloud, the cloud cover. They look down they're like, oh, look, there's a Japanese fleet. They were actually yep. kind of lost. Yep. You know, they didn't want to show exactly where they were. And they see it. And, so they, and these are dive bombers. So like, I don't know if people understand what dive bombers are. It's not like today when you have like the laser scopes. You just kind of like line up your plane in the scopes and you fly towards the deck of this. Yep. And at the last minute, last you pull weekend, up. And at the last possible second, you, have to, you pull up and you're hoping that the gravity kind of just guides the bomb. <laughs> the rest yeah, of the that's way. That's all it is. And um, that's basically what it is. And, and we should mention it, the fact that like our dive bombers were doing okay. However, our torpedo bombers, I mean, they were, they were terrible. 
And apparently, like, our torpedoes would just, like, miss the ships. There were Some torpedoes right. hit but didn't explode. Like, yeah. The ones that they get through hitting, and, like, we, we were not, yeah, we were lucky. That and there was an ongoing joke that those that flew torpedo planes were like, dude, like, why are there torpedoes here? You don't do anything for us. Like, the dive bombers, like, almost resented the fact that the torpedo guys were there because it, they didn't really help them out. And, and that kind of stems from the United States eventually got it together and figured out how to ba- build better torpedoes. But at least during this battle in 1942, we're still kind of a little off on that. You know, even though the three ships, they don't sink technically. They're just on well, fire. It, yeah, it's the Akaga, the Kaga, and the, the Akagi, the Kaga, and the Soyu. Yeah, they, they're on fire. They're, they're really damaged. There's no way to fix them. That's it. Like they're going to be, yeah. they're, they're, they're taking on water. Some are going to sink. Some are going to be attacked. Uh, you know, the battleships will blow up themselves. And eventually, um, actually, the Japanese blow some of them up. They're like, you know what? We're not yeah. like, you can't, we can't tow this ship right here. So they wind up sinking their own ship as they're their getting ships, off yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I said the battleships. The, the one um, Japanese surviving carrier, the Hiru, launched two waves of attacks on the, York t- on the Yorktown. The Yorktown at this point was severely damaged early on in the battle. It's already been abandoned, but it was still floating. They did such a good job of fixing it. Um, yep. So as they're doing that, however, these Japanese really, they wanted to get some sort of like revenge, right? That was like their big thing. And as they're doing that, the U.S. dive bombers from all three carriers returned and attacked the Hiru. And it's the Itablaze. So all four Japanese carriers were out of commission at this point. So. Yep. That last one does attack the Yorktown and it does set the Yorktown ablaze. But then now we know where they are. So we send all of our remaining waves over there. We, we take, it was we kind take of, out the, the, the hero. But the whole Yorktown was kind of interesting because we actually started salvage efforts on Yorktown. Like as Yorktown's destroyed, basically, we're like, you know what? We could still salvage the ship. So they send the Hammond. I think Hammond is, um, is the, the Hammond, ship yeah. um, that's towing Yorktown. Which is again, it's a blaze. It's taken in water, but like we could do this. So it's actually, um, it was taken in tow. It was two things: it was Hammond and the USS Vero, I think. And as it's doing that, a Japanese submarine somehow manages to slip through all the dest- American destroyers. And they're saying that's perhaps because there was just so much debris in the water that they missed it. So this Japanese submarine gets through these American battleships and fires just one, you know, like one torpedo, which happens to strike the yorktown and then at that point there wasn't really that many people on the, on the crew of the yorktown anyway because they're already most of them have been evacuated then it fires another one and then finally a third one the third torpedo strikes the uss hammond which was right that there yeah and that was there like providing basically power to the yorktown the hammond breaks into and sinks it cost americans 80 lives and then at that point, it was basically hopeless. They're like, all right, like Yorktown's not working out. So all the repair and crews, everything was taken off of Yorktown. So interesting enough, it survived this this battleship, battleship this uh, aircraft carrier survived midway, almost survived midway. And then it was destroyed by a submarine, not, you know, a dive bomber. Not the actual, yeah. Well, the battle was still gets going on. Yeah. Uh, by this point on June 6th, Yamamoto ordered his ships to retreat. He was pretty much, there's nothing else we can do. And the Americans were kind of like, Sarah, we're just going to let them go. Like, that's it. Like, like, why didn't we push it any further? They're like, their troops were battle weary. It was a victory. Let's just, it's an overwhelming victory. Let's not push our luck anymore. Because the end of battle's midway. So Japan lost about 3,000 men. um, And a lot of, about 200 of the most experienced pilots. They lost nearly 300 aircraft, one heavy cruiser. But the big thing is they lost all four aircraft carriers. The Americans lost the Yorktown, the Hammond, like you talked about. Uh, about 145 airplanes, most of them those torpedo bombers that we talked about that just couldn't yep. do it, and about 360 servicemen. So it was an overwhelming victory for the um, Americans. And at this point, the Jap- Japan had to end its um, 
expansionist plans in the Pacific. They were done. Now they would be on the defensive for the remainder of World War II. So it pretty much um, injected the United States a lot of like confidence. Yep. And it destroyed Japanese morale. They were just like, they actually kept it secret for a while. It wasn't for uh, like a year or two later before it was like revealed to like the general public what happened at Midway. But it was yes. definitely the turning tide of the war in Japan in um, favor of the allies big time. Like this, this is it. If you want to like the tipping point of World War II in the Pacific, it's Midway. All the other stuff that we talked about earlier, like Iwo Jima and Okinawa, that doesn't happen without Midway. You can't island hop with the Japanese fleet being that strong. You knock out four aircraft carriers in, in one battle. Like that, you they can't recover. Japan never recovers from this. They don't have the the industry to recover. They make a few more aircraft carriers, but it's too little, too late. Well, even like how Japan refused to even acknowledge this. Uh, they didn't really yeah. say this or admit it to the public at all. Much of the public, as well as really the military command structures, kept completely dark about this. They're like, yeah, there was a battle. We took some losses. But actually, the Japanese news, as far as people are concerned, announced that this was a great victory. And really, only the emperor and the naval command personnel like really high up there the admirals were really accurately informed of the fact of how much damage was really suffered here they actually tricked the imperial japanese army in believing that at least for a little bit they tricked them believing that the japanese fleet was still in good condition and still had superiority in the pacific ocean even though it did not what i found interesting too is that the return of the japanese fleet right whatever was left of them after um, midway all the wounded were immediately transferred to naval hospitals yeah. but they were classified as secret patients so they were placed yeah. in isolation wards quarantined they from other patients their family yeah yep courtesy family anybody else this was like literally keep the defeat as secret as possible and then all the remaining officers and men that were survived that survived even those that got better from this these hospitals were then quickly dispersed into other units and sent back out in other fleets. They never saw their friends. They basically were shipped right to South Pacific, where a majority of them actually died in battle. It was almost like considered that at South Pacific, they were not doing so well. So it's like they send them to their death. They want them talking about. They want them yeah. to tell um, people, like, no they want one the general know. public to hear about what happened at Midway. Because they, they expected still, we'll still win the war. Everything's still going to ha- be fine. And it'll just, you know, that's what to sweep it under the rug. But, you know, it didn't actually go that way. So I know you remember, I'm sure, from our days in college, right, John Keegan, he's yeah. um, a British uh, military historian. He writes that the Battle of Midway was the first major naval victory of the Allied forces, and it was the most stunning and decisive blow in the history of naval warfare. Because, again, it was just, it was a battle no one expected, the Americans away, not even them. And it was such a money effect that it was like a gritty battle. No, it was like they wiped out like three aircraft carriers in about six minutes. Yep. Right. And then it was a it's this decisive battle. It's a one-sided battle. You can't argue. You know, like Coral Sea can be argued one way or the other. There's other battles can be argued one way or the other. Not the, not Midway. Midway is 100% hands down overwhelming victory by the U.S. Navy over the Japanese Imperial Navy, which at that point was undefeated for 50 years. Yep. So it was, it was the major naval power in the Pacific, and now it's done. So in that one battle, the naval power that was Pacific is now reduced to on defensive stature, and now it's the United States. That's it. And then the United States hasn't looked back if you look at militarily you know, as naval power Yep. from that point, from that point and, on. And it's kind of also like just tacking on to this idea of uh, turning points of the war here. The issue here was that Japan really lost a lot of pilots when it comes to this battle. Yeah, a lot yet. of They could never really train new ones enough. Yeah. Yep. So they said that these replacement so pilots, 
were like pushed through in really quick training regiments and just so they could be brought back because Japan did eventually get new aircraft carriers. It's not like we destroyed all the aircraft carriers. The issue was that the United States industry was producing aircraft carriers at such a pace that we were able to replace all of ours plus add like 12 more by the end of the year versus the Japanese just managed to replace their four by the end of the year we had like over 12 by then and that's the that's the difference we were producing they were not concurrent with that is the fact that you know they rushed these pilots to essentially man these airplanes on these new aircraft carriers by 1943 and they were very inexperienced and because they were losing them at such a quick pace they were really able to have any veterans that you know specifically after midway and you know to send yeah. back to train these these and that new was the pilots. Main problem. Like the United States, eventually, you, when you became like a lot of the pilots from Midway became flight instructors then, yep. and taught a lot of the tactics to other pilots um, coming coming through. You know, teach what you know. Then the Japanese didn't do that. No, you just keep on fi- um, you just keep, keep on fighting until you die. Really, until you die. But yeah, but then you're not passing on that knowledge or expertise. And plus, you, by the time the United States starts making more advanced um, aircraft, like the Hellcat and stuff like that, forget it. There's just there's the Japanese. Once the zero becomes obsolete, they have nothing left. Yeah. The U.S. created basically after Midway and after they were able to use these pilots these that were so experienced um, to train these new pilots, as you mentioned, they created because of Midway this rotation system where they would basically like you were not really allowed to stay too long on an aircraft. The idea was like, we don't want you to die. You got your experience. They would like like rotate them back into the academies to train new pilots. So it was the idea of always retaining uh, veterans on the U.S. Naval um, Air Force, which I thought was kind of really cool. Uh, The one thing I found really kind of cool, which took obviously years, but was the discovery of the Yorktown, which I think is kind of cool because it took until 1998, and it was a guy that was responsible for finding um, the Titanic in 1980s, the same guy and a team of different scientists uh, and actually Midway veterans from both sides helped locate and they photographed the Yorktown, which was about you know like almost 17,000 feet deep underground and they were looking this for this since really the 40s and they didn't find it till 98 apparently it was almost intact as it sunk in 42 they said original paint was still on it equipment everything else try to continue that same group try to continue to search for the japanese carriers but they were unable to find them then there was like a joint expedition 99 that searched for the japanese aircraft carriers and they used, obviously, new technology, computers, whatnot. And they did locate a large piece of the Kaga, I think. And then in 2019, you have a joint Japanese-American Navy research vessel that's sent out. And you basically did locate the actual Kaga altogether. They found the whole thing. And it was at like 17,700 feet beneath the waves. Then they found a discovery also in 2019. They finally discovered the uh, Kagi. So, you know, people are still looking for these things, which is kind of neat. Yeah, they're there. I mean, it's the remains are going to be there. These are giant steel ships. Like, it's going to be down there still even 70 years later, you know? And John Ford, who's a very known Oscar-winning director of, you know, the United States, was actually there to film this whole thing on on Midway, which which became a, a documentary, one of the first documentaries, really successful documentaries. John Ford, uh, again, already an Oscar-winning director, a lot of Westerns. Uh, often known for collaborating with John Wayne. Um, he was an officer in U.S. Naval Reserve and was tasked with making this documentary film for the Navy, just overall. And he happened to be on Midway when Midway was attacked. So he he winds up suffering like a bomb concussion. He has gunshot wounds um, during this raid. But like we actually, you could see the raid itself. Like we see the attack in color 
because uh, uh you know a hollywood director's like recording as it's happening which is kind of interesting yeah. uh it was known the actual documentary is known as the battle of midway you could probably find it on youtube um and it won an oscar for the best documentary in 1942 which is kind of cool um any fun facts here that we got there were a couple american soldiers that um actually were captured i did see that we're, aware, sad. we're, we're aware of that and um they were killed were based they believe they were killed or from accounts from the japanese says the ships is that they were tied to anchors and thrown overboard as as they were returning back to japan I did which was that. very co- which was common on what they were going to do like what they did at the time it was you know just it was war we're not, we're not bringing you back to japan with us so there you go you know crazy especially after they lost especially after they lost all those four aircraft carriers they wanted revenge so so yeah so midway guys in case you're ever interested you could obviously find there's so many documentaries on this but uh if you're not into documentaries there is like we said earlier two feature films on this one older, more classic one, and one more current one, which was actually the current one was actually a pet project of the director. Did you see that? Yeah, he yeah like it was, it was an independent it was film. Yeah, yeah. it's the most expensive independent film. They had like major actors in it. Um, yep. Oh, Ray they had Harrison, I think, is yep. in it. Yep, yep, yep. Dennis, Dennis, nah, what's his name? Quaid. Is it Quaid? Dennis Quaid. Yeah, Dennis Quaid. Yeah. I think I think he's I think he's Halsley in it. So no, it's it, like I said, Jonas brother, one of the German brothers are in it, I believe. But anyway, so I think that kind of concludes Jones. our podcast, right? On the battle midway um again it's, it's a fun one for us i mean i knew this was your thing tom so i was like all right i'm gonna we're gonna let tom like unleash his knowledge here well i was just one of the pacific wars yeah when I guess, that's your thing uh, about knowledge but it's just you know it's your thing i got to, i got a little, i got a little bit yeah i guess it's my area where i study a little bit or if i, I like well both of, of us took so. at least two classes in pacific war and Jap- japan history with professor cook dr cook remember in college who was mm-hmm. actually a former cia agent it was yeah. crazy those are the days but anyway see so if you know not that he's listening to this but anyway <laughs> you know no. thank you professor cook <laughs> yes 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 all right guys if you uh if you need to find us you know talk to us and or if you need to email us or anything else you could do so at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com we are there uh wherever you listen to this podcast do not be afraid to click that little subscribe button also, leave us a review if you like what you hear. And if you don't, then don't. Um, besides that, I hope everyone has an amazing week. And we will see you guys next week. Enjoy. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. History is the greatest adventure story, but does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.